seven minutes after the hour. <laughs> Glad to have you with us. Uh, I am joined uh, by Jennifer Bukowski, a rather brilliant uh, criminal defense attorney, uh, who is on board with us this morning. And uh, I left you with a cliffhanger question. Uh, what do you think? What's your answer? Can you refresh my memory on the <laughs> <laughs> Now it's the three I've been reading and preparing my other topics here. I... <laughs> <laughs> you guys planned that, did you? No? Kind of. In a way, we did, but not exactly. You know what? Let's let her off the hook, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't stop laughing. <laughs> it was like it was like nine minutes ago in my defense. <laughs> well, at your age, you know, you forget things. <laughs> oh, thank you. Your age is so much better. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's clearly not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh Lord! All right, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, you were preparing for the next topic. Which one was it you wanted to go to? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, this is so amateurish. Oh my God! Go ahead. Oh, I did have more thoughts on this crazy article in the Wall Street Journal about these violent uh, Russian convicts that are free to fight. Like yeah. I wonder. I can't really blame them for signing up because God knows what it's like in the gulag over there in Russia. But they sign up, they get sent over, but they get sent over on some suicidal type mis missions and uh, some dangerous, some dangerous tasks. And they're treated like dogs, apparently, like the lowest of the low within the military. And any like drinking or drug use or des desertion, they might like take you out and shoot you. One uh, convict was tied to a tree and left to freeze to death. And so it's uh, a risky endeavor to take up. And now, and you know who set up this program and got these 35,000 or more Russian guys out of prison to help fight because it's more popular than, you know, calling up more reserves in Russia because I guess the people are getting tired of this war with Ukraine. Uh, Log the guy that ran the Wagner group who has mysteriously died in a plane wreck, if you'll recall, you know, after yeah. that. I see, uh, and it sounded, so much, that, it sounded so much like a George Soros deal. Uh, I can't, I can't believe it. All right. Um, let, let's, uh, let's go back to the Trump. Speaking of people in private jets, like that Wagner guy. Who well, wait, 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 before we do, before we do that, we really do have to go back uh, and get uh, the answer to the question. Uh, which is, uh, <laughs> can President Trump pardon himself on this federal oh, court yeah. case in Washington, yeah. D.C.? Yes. But the one that's problematic, Gary, is the one in Georgia, because he can't pardon himself for the one in Georgia. Like, the New York one seems like a joke. There is, the one is civil, there's one that's criminal, but it's just kind of uh, uh is a bookkeeping thing. I mean, I, I don't know. Even in New York, I don't see that one being a threat as much as I do the Georgia case because of that crazy Georgia RICO law, which I'm glad Missouri doesn't have, where they're looking at conduct all over the country and trying to cobble together something 
uh, and they got all the attorneys to basically take plea deals and agree to testify, like Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell, um, have agreed to testify. They've gotten probation. But uh, Fannie Willis down in Fulton County, Georgia, she is uh, going to also have her own month-long trial as Trump is running for president. And in Georgia, even though they have a Republican governor, the governor there couldn't pardon Trump either because they have a, a special process where it has to go to this board and be approved by them. And so that's the one where there's more legal jeopardy. In ter- I mean, if Trump were to win, he'd still be in legal jeopardy from that case. It's yeah. more already over. Uh, you know, but it's, you have appellate bonds, you can stay out on appeal, and I can imagine them uh, allowing that to be strung out. And then maybe the Supreme Court gets involved. I don't know. There's so many moving parts. Yeah. I, um, you know, part of the problem here is this RICO law is based on the war on drugs. Yeah. That, that's the whole point behind it. And now uh, he's getting hung up on this. Uh, and I don't think the law makes much sense to me uh, outside of the war on drugs. I think it's it's uh, it's not particularly fair, um, and I think it violates... Yeah, they had one article like, oh, this is devastating to Trump's case that Jenna, Jenna Ellis heard at a cocktail party, who was it, Dan Crenshaw or one of those type guys say, well, we're not leaving. We're not leaving the White House even. Like, this is like triple hearsay. How is this going to be... You know, the nail in the coffin. But under the RICO laws, they have very broad um, exceptions to things like hearsay. They're like, well, if it shows the existence of some sort of conspiracy or the existence of whatever else, even though it can't be attributed to Trump or proven that he knows it. Now, I mean, I don't think for sure it comes in. I, I did some research on it, but these these crazy RICO laws, they have so many exceptions and it, it can be cobbled together. I mean, it was designed to go after organized crime, but applying it to this circumstance in this novel way, it's a scary precedent. You don't suppose that... politics, basically. You don't suppose that Trump's attorneys who have made a plea deal are going to really offer up uh, a nothing burger? Or does uh, does Fannie uh, have all of the information in advance of what they're going to say? She gets to have the information, like they did proper interviews. So in order to like get to the plea part, they came in, they're like, let's make a deal. Here's what I would say if I were to be your witness. And Fanny got to hear what their testimony would be. And as long as it's truthful in her mind, then she offers them the deal for their truthful testimony. And as long as they come in and say what it is that they've said to her, then they get their plea deal. And, uh, I think so. Yeah, she knows going into it what they're going to say. But even like they had articles breathlessly saying, oh, this is a death knell for Trump. I think like the Jenna Ellis stuff. Now, so a lot of it's been redacted. We don't know everything she said. And so there could be more. But the one thing that they were saying was, oh, this shows the fact that they, there was a guy bragging at a cocktail party that, oh, the plan is to stay in the White House, which they didn't do. Oh, you and I discussed this which they didn't even do, that that's some sort of nail in the coffin for Trump. They do have ways to try to get around hearsay. 
because it is like triple hearsay, but uh, I think they could probably still try to keep that testimony from Ellis out. One hang-up is that Trump, if he tries to assert like attorney-client privilege, then that opens the door for them to be able to get in all the testimony from or testimony from attorneys that were like, no, you can't do this, Mr. President. This isn't a real thing with Mike Pence. And this is, you know, all these kind of things that he was getting all kinds of legal advice not to. You know, the ridiculous thing is he did leave office. Yeah, he did. Uh, and I keep hearing these Democrats say, oh, if he gets elected again, he won't leave and it'll be the end of the uh, the country. And blah. These people are just desperate and out of their minds. All right. Uh, we got to take a yeah, quick break. Meanwhile, Biden does do things, you know, like he has there has been total inflation and everything else under Biden. But the Democrats are always like, well, he might become a dictator. Trump might become a dictator. I don't think people are buying it this time around, which explains the polls right now. Well, we've got uh, uh, Comer pointing out that uh, Biden's son, out of his business account, was giving Biden money uh, on a regular basis. If that were for, uh, uh, you know, paying him back for buying a truck, he'd be paying that back out of his personal money. Anyway, uh, out of his personal account, we've got to take a quick break. Jennifer Bukowski with his private jets to the climate conference. Yeah, that makes sense. No, it doesn't. It is uh, 1120. Jennifer Bukowski with us, criminal defense attorney, and uh, she uh, comes uh, comes on the program once a week. I'm having a hard time this morning. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's been all day. Words just aren't coming out. Anyway, she comes on the program uh, every week, and we talk about current events, uh, political, illegal, and otherwise. And uh, the uh, global warming conference... Uh, in the Middle East has uh, sent some 70,000 people there, many of them in their own private jets. Wow. How much CO2 do they add? That didn't even begin to make sense, Jen. Yeah, to a city they built in the middle of the desert and air conditioned. You know, a city where they have a mall with an indoor ski court. Uh, I'm not making that up. They have a mall They with a ski court, skiing, like an indoor ski thing in the middle of the freaking desert. Uh, and uh, not only that, but like Kamala couldn't be bothered to car airpool with John Kerry over there. You know, we had to, taxpayers had to pay for both of them to go over there, which I guess, you know, to be fair, it's possible that the Secretary of State, or or he's not Secretary of State anymore, whatever, he's climate czar. Yeah, why can't he just hitch a ride with Kamala and fly back commercial if she needs to jet earlier? It's, uh, why didn't so they just, why, why didn't they use go to meeting? If they're really concerned about every drop of CO2 yes. in the air, why didn't they use the interwebs, which have the capacity to do this? That's a good question because it's it's not about that. It's about their new religion and the who's who and power. That's what this all is. It's a power grab. It's a money grab. And uh, the deserts is air conditioned. And the top people there are oil companies. So it's a good, I guess it's good for the oil companies to hobnob with the people that are wanting to shut down their businesses, basically, and find some common ground. I'm not sure. So some of the Green Party people are not impressed by this but they've said well you know we've now we're not saying that we're trying to stop the top 
temperature. It's all it's about the bigger picture here. But you know, these people they can't be expected to, you know, share an airplane over there. But King Charles shouldn't have to ride with the Prime Minister over there in the same plane, Gary. I mean, they have to have their own private jets because really it's the rest of us that aren't important and the rest of us that need to eat bugs and the rest of us that need to stop using air travel and everything else. They they get to still jet around and do what they want, talking about how they're going to make the little people eat bugs, basically, is what this whole movement's about. I mean, when, you, when you put it in perspective, it really is horrifying. We're going to have to eat bugs. What? Are you kidding yeah, that's me? That's what they want. They're, they're, they're coming after the cars. They've come after the cars. They're coming after the cows next. I mean, that's clear. That was the title of a Wall Street Journal opinion piece this week, and it's apt. You know, this eat bugs thing, the more you start noticing, it's everywhere. You know? The European and, Union is going after farmers. I mean, it's yeah. just... They're going to start taxing the cows like they are, you know, using taxes and everything to incentivize cars right now or phasing out you know california they're going to say no more gas-powered cars which i'm not sure how they're going to do that when they can't even keep the lights on as it is in california right now their structure is just not up to par uh but yeah that's these people they know better than everyone else even though with all the evidence out there already that they are not affecting things and they're going to cause more problems but Essentially, you know, what I, you know, I'm not anti-environment. You know, I'm not anti-thinking about conserving the environment. But I am frustrated by the hypocritical world leaders that are all hobnobbing together over in Dubai right now. What these global warming people are saying is let them eat cake. Yes. That's essentially what they're saying. Uh, what is the sanctuary proposal? I'm curious about that caller. Let me get that one in. Ben... Uh, Ben is on the line. Ben, good morning. Good morning. Tonight, you may know that the Human Rights Commission is having their meeting at 5 and 5.30 on the proposed uh, sanctuary uh, ordinance. Now, Missouri already has given sanctuary to the young people by making them free from influence of these evil maimers who want to chemically and surgically castrate them and leave them with gaping. Oh, oh, we lost him. All right. Sorry about that. Uh, All right. So uh, the the whole global warming thing is is a load of horse manure, if you ask me. Finally, we wrap this up with Meghan Markle. She's no longer a member of the royal family. Well, I mean, she's been pictured. There's... Meghan Markle is still married to Prince Harry. But he's not a prince anymore, is he? He's still a prince, yes. I thought they were taking that away from him. No, he's still Prince Harry. She's Duchess. Uh, They're Duke and Duchess. He's also a prince. But they're no longer his royal highness and everything else. But he is still a duke. In any event, uh, this book... They, remember that Oprah interview where Meghan Markle was on there and they're, they're like think basically that the royal family had racist members because there was some concern or conversations about what the color the baby would be or look like. And Oprah was like, what? Yeah. And a lot of mixed race people around the world or just all kinds of different people were like, that's a normal thing to speculate about. Like, what is the baby going to look like? Like, 
when people of the same race have a baby together, it's like, what is it going to look like? And there was all this drama ever since then about who was it? Was it the queen? Was it Prince Philip? Was it, who was it? And apparently this Omid Scobie, he's written this book, and he's kind of known as like a bestie of the Markles. Of the Markle. Yeah, we should call Prince Harry, Harry Markle, shouldn't we? In any event, <laughs> uh, somehow accidentally in the Dutch translation of this book, they outed who the two members of the royal family were that said this. You want to know? Yeah, sure. Kate and King Charles. Wow. And so there's fur, and they have, like, refused to say anything about this. And so, I mean, this rift is just growing farther and farther apart. But they went after two of them. Like, Kate is very popular. So to suggest that she and the current king, his dad, are racist, and to allow that to be... You know, in a book, now, somehow, if it, in the Dutch version of the book, and they claim to have no idea how that name ended up in the Dutch version. Well, I can tell you, you had it written in a version of the book that somehow got edited out before it went to publication, but it was in a draft of your book that was already so far along that it was being translated into other languages. That's how that happened. You know? It's like not rocket science, so... Yeah, you did write it down at one point, changed your mind, supposedly. And this is, could be a PR stunt, you know, that they let it slip in there to get more attention on the book and more book sales. I wouldn't put it past them. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Markle, Megan and Harry are getting a cut of this book either for their participation or whatever else. Well. So that's my royal news. I always have to look for a royal story. Well, Brian, Brian kind of counts on you to keep him up to date. I do. I crave those royal stories. On, on the royals and, and what they're up but to. They've, they've been disinvited from the wedding of the year. Uh, the Duke of Westminster asked Carrie and Meghan from his wedding guest list, even though he's childhood friends with uh, Harry, because of the history of repeating itself over the role you know, there was a row over an invite for Camilla when it overshadowed his sister's wedding. So the people of these royal social circles have to, like, walk on eggshells because if you invite this part of the family, then it's looking like you're picking sides or whatever else. But it's looking like they're picking sides and they're not picking Harry and Meghan over there. They're old friends. Yeah, so is anybody uh, in the royal family siding with Harry? Are they all... No, they have a cousin, Eugenie, who seems to be the most neutral one. She's like their same age. Uh, she's the daughter of Princess Anne. Or no, she's the daughter of Fergie, excuse me. And uh, she's like their Harry and um, Harry, Harry's same age. And she's been, and William, same age, like right in between the two of them, I think. And she's still visiting Harry, went to the Super Bowl with them, stuff like that. So. I think she's trying to stay the most neutral. And I think it's good to have a family member like that that is talking to both sides so that maybe you can have some reconciliation in the future. Because if you're just totally no contact, then that becomes more problematic. But I have to say, I can't blame uh, William and Kate and the King for not wanting Harry and Meghan to come to events where they are because all of their conversations seem to get leaked to the press and misconstrued and everything else, and they are still working royal, so they have to be on their good behavior. And so yeah. that kind of ties their hands. I don't even want them here. All right, uh, Jennifer Bukowski, thank you for being with us. 
Thank you, Gary. Coming up in the next segment, Warren Buffett says he's got a way to balance the budget. We'll share it with you next on The Gary Nolan Show. This is The Gary Nolan Show. It's 11.35. Glad to have you with us. Uh, Warren Buffett has decided he can fix America's debt problem. You know, it's funny. We, we've been talking about this debt problem for a couple of years that it's, it's getting fast out of hand. And now suddenly we're starting to see some people paying attention to it. Not enough, but some. And, and Warren Buffett says he can fix the problem in just a few minutes. Uh, I might go to Warren Buffett for investment um, advice, but I'm not sure I'd go to him on debt uh, advice. By the way, Buffett, who is in favor of raising taxes, isn't suggesting that we raise taxes to cover the debt. No, his plan is to tell members of Congress that they can't run for re-election unless they're able to run the country with a deficit under 3% of GDP or risk losing their chance. They, they, won't, they won't be able to run. So their job would be to maintain a deficit under 3% of GDP or not be able to run. Here's the problem. In order to do that, you have to get rid of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. You've got to really cut back on the social programs. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody is going to do that. Be nice if it could happen. What we really ought to do is write a law that says you will balance the budget every year. You will not spend a dime more than you take in. Now, that won't solve the problem in our lifetime, but it won't get any worse. But I kind of like the idea. What do you think? What if we were to tell Congress, we would, we would all have to, I mean, the whole country would have to work on this. And Democrats need to get on board, too, and I, I think they might if they recognize the size of this debt. And we wrote a law that said, if Congress spends more than it takes in, if they run a deficit, they can't run for re-election or for federal office. I don't know, Brian, I kind of like the idea. I'm kind of thinking that it wouldn't have any teeth because once the politician that says, oh, yeah, I can do that, gets in, you know, they won't do what they agreed to do upon being elected, and then the next one comes in, and we repeat the cycle over and over and over, and we're in the same place again. Well, they don't want to lose power. They want to remain in power. This would incentivize but What them. I'm saying is they'll just get another Democrat to do the next Yeah, but the charade. first Democrat doesn't want to leave office. They want to stay in office. This is about power. Yeah, but they'll get through to the end of their term, and... And then they're toast. Yeah. And they don't want to be toast. They want to keep running. The, the most electable uh, candidates for me are the ones that don't want to do it. Uh, those, those are the candidates. That's why the libertarians are so good. None of them really want to run for office. They don't even want to hold office. I mean, 
when is the last time you've heard an honest discussion about the the current debt and what we can do to get it under control? I don't remember a time that we've actually sat down and say, "We look, guys, we have a problem." Yeah, this, we're not seeing that. I'm, we're you we're know, not. Well, interestingly, Brian, we're, we haven't actually talked about it with listeners. How would they solve the debt problem? I mean, you're going to have to take the big items first. I mean, Social Security, it's already broke. And so they, they just don't want to take the step to privatize it. I mean, that's a dirty word, and you'd be eviscerated for just suggesting it. Yeah, by the and, way, technically, technically, Social Security is not broke. Um, literally, they are. So you're right on that level. But what they've done is they've loaned the money to the Treasury, and now the Treasury has to pay the back, which they've been doing and will continue to do. But at some point, they won't have any excess funds. They'll only be able to send money out uh, that they get in from the Social Security tax. So right now, they may be taking in $5 billion and giving out $7 billion because they're taking $2 billion back from the Treasury. But eventually that money will run out. And then you have the military. Yep. Well, I mean, that's a huge chunk as well. I mean, we we can sit here and say, bring everybody home from foreign countries that we have no business being in. That's going to save a a ton of money. Stop spending money on things we don't need. Yeah, they'll... You know, I was just reading a story today about NASA. I guess we're going back to the moon again to, you know study this that and the other why yeah i kind of think it's cool to you know explore planets but is that in the constitution do we have authority to spend taxpayer money to see if life ever existed on the moon or whatever they're doing i can almost understand it if they would be out there looking for asteroids that could potentially destroy the earth i get that but I don't know, uh, you know, hey, we need to develop a colony on Mars in the event that the Earth gets destroyed by global warming. Come on. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, they just spend money like it's not theirs. Hey, wait, it's not theirs. Well, every uh, every trillion dollars, we ask listeners to figure out how long it would how much it would uh, uh, how long it would take to, to pay off the debt. Uh, and we uh, are at thirty-three trillion eight hundred and ninety billion. So another hundred and ten billion dollars, and we will crest thirty-four trillion dollars in debt. So it's got to be handled. So if it were up to you, how would you handle the debt? You know, I'm I'm a, a libertarian. I'm slash and burn. Let's let's get the government out of all these things. But maybe you've got a better idea on how to handle this debt or how, better yet, to incentivize Congress to handle the debt. Maybe you and I don't have the answer. Maybe we don't have a cut and dry, do this, do that, do the other, and everything will be fine. But maybe we can incentivize Congress to find out how to do this. Warren Buffett has at least, I think, a, a sort of a base uh, that we can work with. What would the incentive, how would we incentivize Congress 
to actually cut the debt. I'm not talking about cutting the deficit. I'm talking about eliminating the deficit and then some. Can we, is there something that we can hold over them that um, perhaps will get them to do the right thing? Maybe we, we uh, uh, pay them at the end of their term. You know, let them, let them use go-to-meeting, be in the legislature from wherever their district is. And then at the, end of the, at the end of the fiscal year, if they have voted to increase spending, they don't get paid. Uh, if they voted to, to cut spending, they do. I don't know. I'm, I'm just I'm the boilerplate, just throwing things out there. If you got a plan, let me know what it is. If you got a way to incentivize Congress to do it. Because it can't continue. And there's no there's no real argument for why or how it could continue. I don't see how anybody could stand up in front of a microphone and say, eh, we don't have to worry about this. This is not a problem. When it clearly is. And I've even seen Democrats. I read a piece in the Wall Street Journal about two months ago. I read parts of it on the air. Or a Democrat was saying, we got a problem here. And his solution, of course, was to raise taxes. It's what it always is. But you can't raise taxes enough to pay this off. You can't take that much money out of the economy and expect it to continue to hum. But you can cut spending. How would you incentivize Congress? Or what would your plan be to reduce? to uh, eliminate the deficit and cut the debt. 800-529-5572 or 874-9390. Dustin, good morning. Well, good morning to you. But uh, here's my question. Um, I don't have really anything because I don't have any faith in them. Uh, so let's say there was a great reset. My question is how long would it take them to be back where we're at again? <laughs> That's little of faith I have in any of them on cutting anything. I think they put us right back to where we're at with their mindset within 10 years. You don't think there's any way you could incentivize them not to? Is no there way. something we could add to the Constitution? Well, there, there might be that way. Uh, maybe uh, if you uh, get into Congress and, and you do not pass ways to cut spending or reduce on the deficit, uh, public hanging. <laughs> <laughs> well, that certainly is an incentive, Dustin. I'll give you that. I, well, I mean, I have no faith in any of them anymore. None. None whatsoever. I've, I, I don't think there's any until until they've got um, um, special interest people and everybody out of their pockets uh, incentivizing them to go their way, you know, there, there's just there's nothing you can do. They they all see it a different way once they uh, their pockets are being padded to lean directions. You know. All right. Um, all right, Dustin. I got to run, buddy. Thank you, for, especially for the chuckle. <laughs> Hang them. All right. Take care. Public hanging. That's great. Gene. Good morning. Morning, Gary. Uh, you know, we have two problems. The first one is the people that are in charge of it are the ones that have to pass these rules that we're going to theorize about today, which means 
it would probably never happen because they're not going to do anything that's going to actually inhibit their ability to spend freely. But, I mean, if we could pass something, most other people that are in uh, a level of position they are are incentivized by performance, and I think that uh, it would be totally reasonable to to pay them a certain amount and say, hey, if at the end of the year you guys have all balanced the budget, uh, there's a 25% bonus on your normal uh, on your normal normal paycheck. As we know, most of the people that are in Washington are not truly there for us. Uh, they're there for them. And uh, they're only incentivized by one thing, and that's what's going to go in their, their bank account. And uh, that, that would possibly be something. I don't know. Maybe you have to make it 50%. But uh, until we get people out of Washington that aren't there just to pad their pockets, we're always going to end up in the same spot. So instead of the stick, you're using the carrot. That's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting idea. All right. Well, All right, yeah, Gene. They, they, they would never pass it. We know that, but it might work. Well, we might be able to do it ourselves. Well, we can go state to state, get an amendment to the Constitution. All right, yeah, Gene, yeah. I got to run. Thank you for the call. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Back to wrap it up on the Zimmer Radio Network. It is uh, 1153. Is there a way to incentivize Congress to, to balance the budget, to lower the debt? That would mean eliminating the deficit. You can't lower the debt and have a deficit. If you have a deficit, you're increasing the debt. You have to get rid of the deficit and then go after the debt. So is there a way to do that? I don't think you can raise taxes that much. Is there a way to incentivize Congress or to penalize them if they don't do it? If you've got an idea, share it. I'd love to hear it. I'll repeat it loudly and, and uh, promote the hell out of it if you've got a great idea. 800-529-5572 or 874-9390. In the meantime, House Republicans are going after this uh, battery-powered electric vehicle mandate. Democrats are saying that uh, this is an attack on public health, innovation, and free markets. It's not a free market. If you're using tax dollars to promote battery-powered cars and at the same time... Uh, affecting the marketplace by uh, engaging in uh, 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 unrealistic miles per gallon rules for internal combustion engines is not a free market anymore. You're tampering with it. So the Democrats are wrong. This is not, uh, uh, not hurting innovation in free markets. The Environmental Protection Agency isn't imposing an EV mandate, according to the Democrats. No, no, no. Um, but they are telling auto manufacturers, you've got to reach this unreasonable goal of miles per gallon for cars sold in America. The, the only alternative is a battery-powered car. The only way automakers can make uh, the emission standards uh, that the government is is compelling them to do is to produce more EVs and fewer gas-powered cars. Uh, maybe they're not saying you must produce a, a, a battery-powered car, but they're certainly not making it possible to do anything else. The Republicans are uh, enter, uh, entertaining this bill. That would prohibit the EPA from finalizing their proposed CO2 emission standards and bar any regulation that would mandate the use of any specific technology or result in limited availability of new motor vehicles. 
based on the type of engine. Wall Street Journal has a great piece on this. That means the EPA couldn't promulgate uh, a similar new mandate. Democrats say, oh, the Republicans, they're attacking the EPA's authority to protect Americans. How many of you want to be protected by being forced to drive a battery-powered car? I, you know, very few people. Uh, you may choose to, but who wants to be forced to? Wall Street Journal says American demand for EVs is already outpacing supply. The Democrats' memo says the auto manufacturers are independently trending toward EVs because of increasing popularity with consumers. That's a bald-faced lie, but then if you remember the Democrat Party, the end justifies the means. Automakers in America are scaling back EV production plans. They've been sending messages to Washington to knock it off, to stop. This is unreasonable. Thousands of automobile dealers sent messages to the administration asking them to stop this EPA regulation because EVs are piling up on their car lots. Now, let me explain something to you. Automobile dealers borrow money to put those new cars on the lot. Every car you buy has what they what automobile dealers call a pack. And that's, here's how much the car costs from the manufacturer. Here, on average, is what, uh, what share of that car sale will cover the electric and the gas and the insurance and the interest on the, uh, on the, uh, on the loan. And then they sell you the car. That's their dead cost. Well, if these EVs are sitting on the lots for months, then it's costing them more and more money. They've got to unload the damn things. At some point, they're going to have to, you know, maybe sell them at a loss just to get them off the floor. So kudos to the Republicans who are pushing this. Uh, and, and certainly I have uh, great empathy or sympathy or both. For anybody living in Alaska or North Dakota or any of those northern tier states where those batteries just don't hold a charge in the winter. It's, they're just not practical. Ford lost $62,000 on every EV they sold in the third quarter. End it, EPA. Coming up, Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity, Randy Tolber, whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. You seize the day, Carpe Diem, Gwen, baby, honey, I'm coming home.